Hey, everybody, and welcome to True Crime Paranormal with this psychic sister. I'm Christy Brower, and I am your host tonight. Tonight is the Wednesday night case update, where we give a live update, if you're with us live, on live stream on YouTube and on Facebook, where we talk about true crime cases, what's happening in the true crime world, and any updates on cases we are actively covering. So if you're with us live, welcome. If you're listening after the fact, welcome as well. I am here all by myself tonight. Katie is off, you know, taking her daughter to college. I mean, I guess if she has to do that, then I can be here and do the update by myself. So I have a lot to share with you tonight. There are a lot of updates in the true crime world. I want you to know that also tonight at 9 p.m. Mountain, which is my time zone, on 48 hours, there will be a an interview with the children of Chad Daybell. That is the Chad Daybell, Lori Vallow murder case of Tammy Daybell, Tylee Ryan, and J.J. Vallow. So I'm going to be back, actually, for a second update focused very specifically on that interview after I watch it tonight. So I'm going to give you a little preview of what we know that they are going to say, although I'm sure there's going to be some more. There's some pretty humdingers here already, you guys. So they are speaking out. There are five children. And they have come together to speak out about their father's innocence in this case. And if you know anything about the Daybell Valo case, and if you follow us at all, you definitely do, because we talk about it all the time. Uh, this is a bit of a stunner, you know, I think also probably a ploy by his defense attorney to try to show that he has his family support. But what the kids say Mark Daybell says, according to my understanding, uh, oh, that, that they were told that their mother was asphyxiated. Now, if you are a true crimer, you know that most people who are asphyxiated are murdered, right? Mark Daybell says, according to my understanding, it just means the breath was interrupted. And in the end, she wasn't able to breathe. And according to that, there's more facts we need. And from that, they have assumed that that means that their mother was not murdered. I just, this feels like reaching like crazy to me. So we'll see what else they have to say um, in the longer interview. They all say that their father has been framed in spite of the fact that JJ and Tylee's bodies were actually found buried um, basically in his backyard on his property behind his house. So there's a lot I know. Cammy's already posting a face palm. Me too. There's going to be a lot of face palming later, and I will come back with all of the face palming news after the interview, and we'll talk about it and kind of what it means and what it really doesn't mean, because this is just his kids showing their support for their dad. You know, it's not like it's going to have an impact on the actual trial or the actual evidence, because as we know, a grand jury has charged their father with first-degree murder in all three deaths. So we're going to come back to that when I come back in my next live stream. But I had a bunch of other 
news I wanted to share with you because it's interesting. So there is a trial about to start. I'm actually not about to start, but I believe is actually going on or about to go on here. This is uh, the, the murder trial of Janet Ann Taylor. She was killed um, in La Honda when she was 21 years old. And this is a trial for John Arthur Gautreaux. And he's being tried for her murder. He's actually accused of two cold case murders. And this trial has come about um, in result of some DNA evidence. So this is a very old case. Uh, let's see. I'm just going to give you the date and I just lost it. It was in 1974. So uh, Janet was uh, raped and murdered in 1974. And of course, at the time, there was no way to test any DNA. So now they have DNA on her pants. And the DNA is quite clearly John Arthur Gutros. But there's a, there's a big... Um, controversy going on because what they have is they have her green corduroy pants and the green corduroy pants have DNA in several places on it from uh, who we know now to be her killer which is John Arthur Coutreau so what the uh, defense is arguing is that when those clothes were originally taken they did not say that there was a tear in the crotch of her pants. And now there's a tear in the crotch of the pants. I mean, you got to think about those pants have been around for 46 years, 47 years. So she also had Goutreau's um, DNA under his fingernails, under her fingernails. Okay, so the DNA that was found under her fingernails was, oh wait, I'm sorry. I'm mixing up two victims. Sorry, you guys, I have so much on my mind. We just bought a new car just a little while ago and I just got home and I had all this information for you. Okay, so he's been identified in two murders. Leslie Marie Perlov is one and then the other is uh, Janet. Okay, so in Leslie's murder, she has Gutro's, um DNA under her fingernails. Now, the chance that that DNA belongs to anyone other than him is one in 65 septillion. Septillion, you guys. So he definitely... Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline did that one. All right. So now the green pants. So his DNA is found on the outside and inside of the torn crotch of her green corduroys, right? 
chances of DNA belonging to anyone other than Goutreau is one in 102 billion. Okay. What are there, 8 billion people on the planet? Like, it's it's definitely him. Um, but they're saying, well, those pants didn't have a tear in them when, uh, when they were found. And so now maybe the DNA is planted. That's what they're saying. So very interesting stuff happening. There's so much cool stuff happening with DNA right now. As we know, we talk about it on here a lot. I just wanted to share that with you because now that's the argument that maybe it was planted because the pants weren't torn before. I don't think it's going to get them anywhere, but I think it's an interesting thing. I want to welcome you all to the chat. Cami, Moonbeam, Paula, Mouth of the South, Kathy, Cat. Welcome to have you all here. Excited to have you here now and a little later when I have more stories for you. But I do have several other interesting cases here. So they um, in Florida, there was a serial killer back in the early 2000s who I will tell you looks frighteningly like Ted Bundy in some ways. Um, he's never been identified until now. So he killed Kimberly Dietz Livesey and he killed Sia Damas and he killed Jessica Good. So this is all between June of 2000 and uh, August of 2001. Okay, so those cases have been unsolved for a really long time. Well, they've now identified this serial killer. His name was Roberto Wagner Fernandez. He was a Brazilian citizen and he was living in uh, Miami at the time. He went to back to Florida or went back to Brazil after the last murder. But they have linked him to all three crimes. Um, here's the crappy part. He died in a plane crash in 2005. So they at least have closure for the families, but we don't know, you know, we don't have the whole, um, you know, get to take into court kind of thing. So I think that's interesting stuff. I think it's too bad also um, that they don't get to take him to court for that. And then this last one, this one is, this is such a sad story. I don't know if you've ever heard this story. This is about the Martinsville Seven. So the Martinsville Seven were um, seven men, Francis DeSales, uh, Grayson, Booker T. Milner, Frank Harrison, uh, Howard Lee Harrison, James Luther Harrison, Joe Henry Hampton, and John Claibon Taylor. And they were convicted of the rape of Ruby Stroud Floyd. That, uh, that occurred on January 8th, 1949. She was in their neighborhood, I guess, um, trying to, collecting money from for someone from clothes that she had sold. Apparently, these seven men were brought in. They were interrogated under duress, and they did not have a lawyer present. They were coerced into confessing um, and were threatened with mob violence. There was no evidence against them. There was never a trial. They did not have anyone representing them. They were sentenced to death for this completely unproven sexual assault. Four of them were executed by electric chair on February 2nd, 1951, and the other three were executed three days later. 
So they have received a posthumous pardon um, at this point from Virginia Governor Ralph Northam. Apparently this pardon, uh, let's see, I'll tell you what the, the statement from the governor's office. While these pardons do not address the guilt of the seven, they serve as recognition from the Commonwealth that these men were tried without adequate due process and received a racially biased death sentence, not similarly applied to white defendants. If only this were the only case that things like that happened, it's horrifying. And there are family members still living of these men who are, um, you know, at least somewhat vindicated. They have absolutely no idea if they committed that rape or not. None whatsoever. There's no evidence at all that they did. It was simply a racially motivated um, conviction. And it only took them two years to execute them. Can you imagine? That would not happen now. Not saying that there isn't um, a bias in the American judicial system against people of color, because there definitely is, which we definitely need to continue to work on. But that's how bad it used to be, you guys. Just awful. And I'm glad at least there's a little bit of vindication for them. I wouldn't call it a lot. But, you know, there is a little bit. So that's all I have for you right now. I will be back and it will be fairly late tonight because I've got to watch 48 hours and then I'll be back. And it'll all be about the Daybell kids and what they have to say about their dad, how they are rationalizing away the fact that their mother was murdered when they now know that she was asphyxiated. Because she was 49 years old and in good health. They say she wasn't in good health because their dad said that. But there's actually no indication whatsoever that she wasn't in good health. And they now know that she was asphyxiated. They wouldn't give them any other um, information from her autopsy, apparently. Except that she died of asphyxiation. And somehow they're taking that to mean that their dad did not kill her. Now... I can't blame them 100% because this is an incredibly difficult and painful situation to be in. Who wants to believe that their father would asphyxiate their mother? Who wants to believe that he would then marry his mistress and to find out later that he had participated in the deaths of her children and buried them on his own property, you know, where their mother was living at the time? But they're saying that he was framed and that his story needs to be told. These are the clips that we've seen so far, but I will watch the whole episode and come back and report as soon as I can about that and let you know what I know. So I know this is kind of a short update, but I wanted to come in with some of the other stuff so that I can come back later with the rest. So thank you very much if you've joined me live or those of you that have joined me after the fact. I really appreciate you being here and I will be back in a while with some more updates. As you know, this is True Crime Paranormal with the Psychic Sister. Thanks for being here, everybody.